All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We've got a busy podcast, two guests today, not one, but two. We're going to have the great Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida here to talk a little bit about what's been going on in Congress and the deep concerns about what's going on in our country, particularly at the border. And then we're going to bring in a great expert from the Foundation for Defense of Democracies on Iran. His name is Benham Ben Talablu a tremendous long-term expert on Iran, going to talk to us about all the things going on the ground in Tehran, across Iran, that you don't know about. I don't know if you know this, with the exception of just the news, there's very few people reporting this massive ground protest the last two, three weeks. Also, an indictment in the United States alleging that Iranian intelligence tried to capture a U.S.-based Iranian critic journalist. If you missed that, it's a reminder that Iran is very active, even as The Biden administration pursues a policy of appeasement, of restoring the nuclear deal, which a lot of people in America oppose. Hey, the Iranians are actors. They're causing trouble in Iraq, backing militias that are attacking Western forces, including our troops. They're trying to kidnap a journalist on U.S. soil right here in New York. And they are deeply involved in repressing their own people who are protesting for freedom right now. You don't want to miss this incredible story. It's a pretty remarkable statement about what's going on in the world. And uh, Benham is going to bring us all the latest details, all the things you've probably been deprived if you've been reading other media. All right. Now, before we get there, I want to just point out two stories I had on the site this morning. I think both of them have importance to the question of dual justice in America. Are we treating people differently? And so we got two big stories. Let me start with the first one because we're going to talk to Congressman Stubbe about this. We had a story this morning by me, a letter from Jim Jordan and several other members of Congress to the Homeland Security Secretary saying that the Republicans in Congress now have a whistleblower. This is important, big. Someone inside the immigration enforcement community who says that the Biden administration has literally been inventing the word that the letter used, absurd is the word, absurd excuses to justify releasing people who should have been 
deported. So these are illegal immigrants that were detained among the 188,000 at the border last month. These are detainees. They should be deported. Instead, they're inventing excuses to let them go. And one of them is they have too much body index. You know what that means? They were too fat. They're too heavy. They were obese. So they're using obesity and weight as an excuse to release someone into the interior of the United States who should have been deported. An important whistleblower story. Read it all at justthenews.com. Very important story. Big thanks to Jim Jordan and the team in Congress who shared that letter with us and allowed us to break that story last night. And then another story that you may not have heard of until you've checked out Just the News today. Carter Page, you remember him. He's the man that got slimed in the bogus Russia collusion allegations by the Steele dossier, which was funded by Hillary Clinton and her law firm, the law firm of Perkins Coie. Well, Carter Page sued for defamation and named Perkins Coie among the people that wanted to sue, along with the Democratic National Committee. And the Perkins Coie firm has come up with an incredible excuse why it shouldn't be sued, why it should be immune from a lawsuit taking responsibility for the Steele dossier and the subsequent leaks and false stories that were out there. And here is the argument. Perkins Coie, though it's a clear American law firm based right here in Washington, D.C., right? It says that because it has three partners working in Beijing, that it should be considered by the courts to be a stateless entity, meaning it's not an American corporation. It's a stateless entity and therefore exempt from being sued in the federal courts. And guess what? It's won two favorable rulings already. Yes, right up to the Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in Chicago, which, by the way, leans a little to the right. They got a favorable ruling that they are, in fact, not subject to federal lawsuit for the defamation, and they dismissed, that court dismissed the Carter Page lawsuit. Check out this big China excuse that this Democratic-leaning law firm has used, Hillary Clinton's old campaign law firm. Another example, I think a lot of people I talked to today say, is an example of a dual system in the Justice Department, in American justice. Important thing, check both of those stories out. Now we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will have our interviews first with Congressman Greg Stubbe, and then with Ben and Ben Talablu, great Iranian expert. You're going to have a lot of news unfold in these two interviews. Come right back. Don't miss it right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. We've had him on the show many times. You love him. And that's why we brought him back again, because we got some serious issues to be talking about today. Congressman Greg Stubbe from the great state of Florida is joining us. Congressman, welcome back to the show. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're in some pretty amazing moments. I know it's the dead of August and we should all be thinking about vacations, but we've got a lot going on in Washington and a lot not going on at the border. We're not enforcing the laws. What Can you give us your current assessment of just how bad things are at the southern border? Well, I'm sure some of your listeners have seen that drone video footage of this massive amount of people underneath the bridge. I'm sure they're paying attention to the numbers, but just to like wrap your head around some of these numbers, it's like 900% over last year on some of these numbers. We had the last numbers we have are 188,000 people have come in. It's the highest number in June for over 20 years. These are numbers that we haven't seen before, and it's because of a crisis that the Biden administration has created. When you talk about amnesty, when you talk about allowing everybody that's currently in the country to get amnesty and become a citizen, you're going to encourage this type of behavior. And it's not just from South America. We've seen terrorists apprehended at the border. We've seen people from all over the world coming through our southern border because they know that they can get through right now. And the Biden administration is going to do absolutely nothing uh, uh, to stop them. And I believe this is the biggest national security threat that we've seen in, in years you know, we had when when I 20 years ago, we had September 11th. This is just as big, but the mainstream media is not talking about it. The White House isn't doing anything about it. Democrats in Congress want to encourage this behavior because for some reason they want as many illegals into this country as humanly possible in the next two to four years while Biden's president. It is remarkable, too, because beyond the drug runners, beyond the fentanyl runners, beyond the sex traffickers, beyond the murders and child predators that have been allowed in the country, because none of that's in dispute. The CPB has provided the statistics. It's not in doubt. Uh, we're bringing in large amounts of COVID. You mentioned 900%. There was a statistic released yesterday or uh, last week by the Del Rio border uh, chief that there was a 900% increase in COVID cases since the surge began. Uh, how big a public health crisis has this become? Well, I believe you're seeing the uptick in the numbers all across the country and in places like Florida and otherwise, because of the open border that we have, these illegal immigrants, the numbers I've seen are over 35% have tested positive. They're doing nothing about that. They're not vaccinating them. They're not requiring them to wear masks. So you've seen the photos inside some of these holding facilities where not everybody's wearing masks. Yep. And it's just an infestation of growing COVID. And then Biden's going to put them with your taxpayer dollars either on a bus or on a plane, a military plane, and ship them all across the country. And you can't tell me that we're not seeing these huge spikes in states like Florida because of illegal immigrants crossing the border and then being shipped by the Biden administration to our yeah. state. And members like myself are asking the administration, we want information on this. We want you to come and testify about this. We, we want you to come and tell us where you're sending these migrants and, and how you're doing it. And they refuse to answer any of our questions because they know they can just ignore us. It's remarkable uh, the, uh, to thumb their nose at the oversight um, powers that the Constitution had given Congress is, is certainly not productive for the American people. Um, last week, the uh, Transportation Security Administration confirmed to me that they are exempting many of these illegal aliens who are getting put on uh, planes by NGOs. So the government releases people who should be deported. They go to an NGO. The NGO either puts them on a bus or a plane. When they go on a plane, many of them don't have the required documentation that you and I must show. So the TSA said, yes, we've been exempting them from the normal ID requirements. We do our best through CPB to see if they really are the person they are. And then we stick them on a plane with a waiver or an exemption. You just talked about 9-11 and how we tightened up our security after it. 
How much, how concerning is that to know that there are people on planes who don't have the same identity requirements that you, you and I must follow when we jump on a plane? Well, and the requirements that we have to go through just to travel domestically, the laws that we have, the federal laws that we have that are completely being ignored by TSA, the Biden administration, Homeland Security, all these different agencies that we, would, we wouldn't be able to do that, but we're going to allow illegal immigrants to, to just be transported all across this country. It's a huge national security threat. We know terrorists have tried to get in through the southern border. We know our enemies know how open the southern border is, so they're sending agents to come down through the southern border, and they don't even have any identification on them. You're not even going to know who these people are. Yeah. It's, it's just astounding to me that you're not hearing more of a reaction from Washington like, you can't tell me that all the Democrats think that this is a good idea. You can't tell me that the majority of Americans think this is a good idea. It's, it's just beyond the pale. And our government's doing absolutely well. They're encouraging it. They're, yeah. they're doing nothing to stop it. And they're encouraging the behavior. Yep. There's no doubt they're complicit in the behavior. There's no doubt about it now. It's, it's now out and open. Last night, your great colleague in the Congress, Jim Jordan of Ohio, uh, released a letter to Just the News, and in it he revealed that uh, the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee have identified and uh, developed a whistleblower inside the immigration enforcement community who told them that uh, not only are they flouting all of the COVID-19 rules, like you just said, uh, the, this is an insider now inside the immigration enforcement community saying exactly what you're saying, confirming it, but that the administration is contriving, inventing excuses to release people who by the law are supposed to be deported and they're coming up with these last minute excuses and the new one is that those deemed to be too heavy to be obese to be um, a a large less than healthy bmi index that that's a ticket to get into the united states all you got to do is eat some extra food and put on some pounds and the biden administration will allow you as an illegal immigrant to stay in the country directly from the whistleblower's mouth quoted in this letter your reaction to that Well, remember not too long ago where we had a whistleblower, and that's all the mainstream media talked about, about a phone call that President Trump had. (laughs) We had hearings. We had oversight hearings. We had intelligence hearings. I was in the depositions in the briefings at the basement of the Capitol. We had impeachment proceedings because of a phone call, and we have an administration that is intentionally violating federal law to fill our country with illegal immigrants and use whatever basis it is that they can come up with, like their body index, uh, fat index is, is too high, to keep them into the country and nothing's happening. Like Trump was impeached for a phone call and you have an administration that is willfully and intentionally violating federal law and nobody's saying a word about it, but Republicans in Congress, yet we don't have the majority in the House, so there's nothing that we can do about it. The Democrats are going to completely ignore all of this because their end game is, we pass HR1 or S1 yep. and allow anybody and everybody without an identification to vote. So they think they get all of these illegals in, they're going to vote for them when they pass HR1 because now we don't have to show proof of identification. You don't have to be a citizen of our country to vote. Anybody can send in an absentee ballot with no verification. That's the end goal here. This is 100% political, which is when you hear the administration talk about COVID and masking up and the safety and security of Americans, you don't care about Americans. They don't care about Americans. They don't care about COVID when it comes to actually stopping COVID being spread across the country, i.e. the southern border, where we know this is coming in. They, they want to use their power to trounce on Americans' rights 
all all at the same time while allowing illegal immigrants to do whatever they want. It's a remarkable moment in American history. Any thought that some of you Republicans might go to court and sue and say, listen, we're members of Congress. We passed these laws. The administration is willfully violating these laws. Is there any, any talk of a lawsuit? Is there anything you guys can do besides write letters and be ignored by the Biden administration? Well, every lawsuit that we've taken part of, like Massey filed the lawsuit right. on Mass. Right. Um, we filed a lawsuit on the man- magnetometers and the, the proxy voting scheme that the, the Democrats had. The, the courts look at that and say, oh, that's just an internal rule um, or you don't have standing. Yeah. So, so we don't have standing to contest some of these immigration issues. We have to rely on states like Florida yep. and Texas who have filed lawsuits on some of these issues. And won some early rulings. Yeah. To, right. And it's going to take time for those rulings to, to make their way to the U.S. Supreme Court to actually tell the administration you can't do this you're violating the constitution until then they're trying to get as many of these people into our country as they possibly can before the u.s supreme court tells them no yeah every day it's another uh, six to eight thousand coming in based on the, the ratio of one hundred ninety thousand in a month pretty remarkable i want to pivot quickly to our wallets because our wallets look like they're about to take another big hit uh, not only the infrastructure deal which looks like it has enough votes to pass in the uh, Senate, but now a $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill on top of all the other cash and money deficit spending that we've done in the last year. Your thought about the state of the American budget and fiscal discipline in Washington? Well, Washington is broken as it comes to a lot of things, and the economy is one of them because Democrats have been in, tr- in control for three years. We have spent $11 trillion over the last 18 months. Eleven trillion. Oh and wrap God. your head around that number. It's hard. We only to. take in three point five trillion a year in revenue as a country. So right. we've spent like four times that in eighteen months, and the Democrats want to keep spending. It's another trillion dollars for an infrastructure package. It's another three point five trillion that Pelosi wants on all these green new deals, spending programs, keep people on welfare, keep people on social programs, bump. You know, the fact that you have to pay rent down the road so people that actually own these properties are having to go into foreclosure. And, and, and Pelosi has said to the Senate, so the Senate's supposed to and expected to pass this infrastructure package, which isn't infrastructure. Only $110 billion of the $1 trillion bill actually goes to roads, bridges, and other major projects. Only $110 billion of the $1 trillion. Everything else is Green New Deal light and forcing people from planes to trains and all this other stuff. But Pelosi has said, if, if you don't, we're not going to bring that bill up for a vote until you pass the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, which has all this other crazy spending in it. Wow. So if she said that she's not going to bring the infrastructure bill up for a vote until that passes. I just don't see how she has the votes in the House for either one of them. Either the squad's not going to be happy because they're not getting enough spending and moving farther enough into a socialist country. Or your moderate Democrats are going to say, look, we can't go home and vote for a tax increase on on families or all or all of the, or small businesses or all these other things that are in this infrastructure package because they know or in the spending package because they know they're going to lose their midterm elections in 2022. But Pelosi, I don't think cares. She wants to try to get this shoved through the process as, as quick as possible and look at the inflation numbers because of this. We're, we're seeing record inflation that we haven't seen in decades. And it's because we've dropped eleven trillion dollars onto an economy, and now she wants they want to drop more. It is a remarkable moment in American history. Eleven trillion in against three. I'm sorry, eleven trillion out versus three point five trillion in. 
the ratio of spending to income is is beyond insane. It's just a remarkable moment in in American history, and generations long after us are paying for this now because we pushed it so far out. Uh, you've been really talking um, a lot about uh, the different approaches, how Florida has its approach on COVID, and then how you see de Blasio like going to a vaccine passport type scenario with restaurants. Uh, what's your take on the different approaches that uh, the two parties have taken when it comes to freedom and COVID-19? Well, all you have to do, again, is look at, one, the economic numbers, the unemployment numbers, and the people that are just flocking to Florida and states like it right now. I've never, I've lived here my entire life. My family's been here for generations. I've never seen the growth in the people moving to Florida like we've seen. And, and these people come up to me as I'm going across the district and have events across the district, and they'll say, we moved here from Virginia so our kids could be in, in an in-person classroom. Right. We moved here from Michigan so our business could, could operate. So you're, you're seeing this all across the country where people don't want lockdowns. They don't want mass mandates. There's no scientific evidence that any of those things actually work. And the death rate from COVID in Florida is lower than it is in New York, New York City, and in California and states that did all of these things. So if the science says this stuff works, you have prima facie evidence from an actual scenario that happened over the last year, year and a half, where that's not factually accurate. It is just an amazing thing that the data does not lie. And yet uh, there are these false narratives in the American media that are just uh, amazing. Last question. Just a few hours ago, the Attorney General of New York put out a report, not an indictment, but put out a report saying that the sitting governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, violated both federal and state law by serially sexually harassing his underlings. Why a report? Why not an indictment? Do you have some concern about the way this is being handled? Well, literally what you just said is what I just tweeted a few hours ago. If you have all of this evidence and you're going to make a statement that he violated state and federal law, then why didn't you charge him with a crime? It, it, you know, it's just amazing how there is a different judicial standard in our country yeah. for liberal Democrats than there is for conservative Republicans. Could you imagine if this was Trump and, oh and all of these factual evidence in New York while he was in New York would be true? He would be in handcuffs right now being escorted through the judicial process and arrested for every single tiny violation of the law. But for Democrats, it's fine. We're just we're just going to say, yeah, he violated the law and then be silent as it relates to an indictment or as it relates to any criminal activity. You see that with Hunter Biden. You see that with them, Democrats breaking that foreign affairs statute that was rarely used until recently under the Trump administration. So you're, you're seeing a complete different standard of justice. Yeah. between liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans. And I tell you, the American people are seeing that. And the more that happens and the more people lose um, faith in their justice system, you're going to have real, real problems and challenges in this country as it relates to people believing what's happening and having faith in the judicial system. And things are going to start to unravel. In your mind, impeachment, criminal charges, is that the right step for Cuomo if he doesn't resign? I think he should be charged. And then whatever the laws are for a sitting governor, like in Florida, if you're a sitting elected official and you have been charged with right. a crime, you, you're forced to resign yeah. or the governor will remove you. Right. So in most states, that's the case. So if you're going to state that he's, been vi- he's violated crimes and you have evidence of that, then charge him with all the crimes that he violated and then let whatever the law is affect his status as an elected official. If it was Florida, he would, he would be removed from office after That's charged right. with a crime. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we're going to have to watch and see how this unfolds. There still could be some history unfolding, but uh, it is a shocking thing to see a report with this level of detail and evidence and proof of sexual harassment at a serial level and and not a charge. We get a report, we get a narrative, but not the consequence yet. Let's see if that plays out. Last question I want to ask you, because you, you come from a long line of great law enforcement. Uh, you were one of the earliest people to warn of the consequences of defunding the police. And now we're seeing, you know, guys at a bar sitting around doing nothing, suddenly getting shot by unexpected gunfire, young children being struck in cars, whether at a McDonald's line, the defunding police now is starting to have this extraordinary consequence. What do you think the American people are thinking about the bloodshed that just seems to go on and accelerate every day? Well, the American people don't support defunding police and defunding police departments. And I think that's another reason why you're seeing people flock from states and cities like that to other places yeah, like where Florida. we're not defunding our police department, yeah. like Florida. And, and just look at Washington, D.C., where we just left last week after a whole series of votes, where even the African-American police chief is saying enough is enough. You have to give us the resources to do our job. And you're not doing that. They, Washington, D.C. defunded their police department, I think, by like $15 million. You're seeing an exorbitant amount of crime. And then when certain individuals get charged with a crime, they get released or they get pushed out on bail. When, when that shouldn't be happening, it, look, if, if you have crimes in place, they should be enforced, just like the border. And if you're going to start ignoring that, criminals see that you're not going to do anything about it. And you're going to see the type of video we've seen in California and other places where people are just going to walk into a, a department store, grab whatever they want and walk out because they know nothing's going to happen to them. It's a remarkable moment. I, I keep using that word, but it's hard to underestimate just how America, if you were looking above 30,000 feet, looking down at America, you'd go, what the heck happened? It's just, it's insane. It's a it's just crazy time. And thank God we have some people like you with common sense and the, the courage to express it and, and act on it every day, Congressman. We're, we're really grateful for what you do and also for all the time you've spent with us on this show. We're so grateful. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. And we need more, hopefully in 22, we're going to get more like me and take the house back. That is certainly what you guys are hard at work at. I see it every day in candidate recruitment fundraising. There's a lot of, a lot of big signs that Republicans are preparing for a wave and you'll probably be at the forefront of that, I'm sure. So thanks again, sir. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to go change topics to Iran. There's big protests going on in the ground in Iran. You probably haven't heard about it because the mainstream media aren't covering it. We're going to cover it for you in just a few minutes right after this commercial break. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, one of the true experts on all things Iran, from the Iranian National Guard to the current protests going on inside Iran, which you probably haven't heard of because most of the mainstream media are ignoring them. Joining me right now is Benham Ben Talablu, a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and a person whose columns you've probably seen over the years. He's been in the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Reuters, Fox News, AP, many places quoted, and a great scholar and a great expert. Benham, great to have you on the show. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a remarkable week because for um, now, for quite some time, there have been these ground protests that everyday Iranians are using, very much like what's going on in Cuba, but the media has been generally silent about them. There's very little coverage of it. Tell us how serious these protests are and what they might signal with the regime. Well, it's important for our audience to know that the Islamic Republic's been in power now for just over four decades. And as long as there's been an Islamic Republic, there's actually been popular protests against it. You know, even though the Islamic Republic likes to say it was, a, it was a popular regime brought in through street power from the beginning, street power was always protesting against the excesses of the clergy, the excesses of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the social, uh, political, and economic pressures that this regime had put on the people. There had always been pushback, but pushback had taken many different shapes. And just by way of some context, some major flashpoints, you know, 1999 and 2009. 2009 was the Green Movement, uh, you know, the street protests after the stolen election, where after the Dijad came in again, that was Iran's former president slash Holocaust denier in chief. And in 1999 was uh, in response to the closure of a former newspaper. Right. Those major p- past trends of protests in Iran uh, were triggered by political events, and they were in touch with the country's domestic opposition, the reform movement. But what we've seen really in the past decade and a half is the collapse of reform and the moving of street power towards openly coveting revolution. And ironically, you saw it under peak periods of foreign pressure, especially when former President Donald Trump was in office. From 2017 to present, the protests have moved from reform to revolution. And rather than requiring a political trigger, they can have any kind of trigger whatsoever. Labor, environmental, social, economic. And in fact, those were the main four triggers for massive nationwide protests that you saw in 2018, 19, uh, protests that were violently repressed. And in fact, the most recent batch of protests about two and a half, three weeks ago originated in Iran's Khuzestan province. That's a southwestern province in Iran uh, largely Arab populated, uh, contains much of Iran, much of Iran's oil wealth, but not all of Iran's oil wealth. Largely neglected, uh, uh, subject to major center periphery issues, and had been subject to you know kind of the regime uh, exacerbating the pollution crisis in the past. But this time they faced a drought issue, uh, mostly but not exclusively due to the government's massive dam building projects and of course their lackluster environmental programs. So this region really, really suffered. Protests began there, but they quickly spread across the country. And just a few days ago, protests were in Tehran, the capital. There were also protests in, in major other urban centers like Isfahan and Tabriz. It doesn't look like the protests are fully dwindling yet, but they certainly haven't gotten the kind of coverage that you would expect. Uh, the nationwide scale is not that, that it was in 2019, but even the 2019 protests, most unfortunately, didn't get the proper coverage they deserved. Um, even though they were basically across the entire nation and the regime not only used violent force and weapons of war against their own population, their own population who was openly chastising their foreign policy, openly uh, calling for an end to the Islamic Republic, and openly 
you know, transgressing rhetorical red lines saying death to Khamenei, death to the, uh, death to the dictator, uh, and largely showing that they are nationalists, and even though the regime is Islamist, and even though the regime is revolutionary, the population was showing that they were post-revolutionary. Um, you know, this stuff didn't necessarily make it out that much into the Western press. And, um, you know, the Washington Post has a saying uh, that democracy dies in the darkness. Uh, and, and most unfortunately, when you look at Iran, it's the Iranian people that die in the darkness. Mm. It is such an important issue to illuminate. And really, this has been a problem. I want to go back to 2009 when the Green Revolution started. I actually had a reporter. I was the editor of the Washington Times at the time. <clears throat> and I had a reporter captured in the Green Revolution. And we had to negotiate with the Mullahs to get him out. And, and we did, but it seemed like that was an extraordinary moment. And there was some media attention. Uh, and yet the uh, Obama administration didn't fully embrace that moment. They didn't fully give the moral authority to the people on the ground. And obviously the Iranian mullahs snuffed that out. Uh, who are the instigators behind it? Is it the MEK and you know the, the resistance groups? Is it everyday Americans? This is really about government competence right now, right? That these residents and citizens of Iran don't believe the theocratic regime uh, is competent anymore. That's why they have drought or, or electric, electricity shortages. Is, is that a good way to read this, that they're rebelling against the government because they just can't serve their people anymore? That's right. It, it's both ideational, like in terms of ideology, and also real-world issues. It's not tied to you know uh, other opposition groups, whether they're inside or outside the country. In fact, it's it's beyond the opposition and this leaderless sense of grievance that everyday Iranians of all sorts of social strata have uh, is indicative of how the regime has been governing for the past 40, uh, 40 plus years in the country. And also indicative of, again, that cleavage that we talked about, a revolutionary and Islamist regime trying to by force maintain control over a post-revolutionary and nationalist population. And in any other part of the world, that is a messy situation. But when you layer on the past century of the Iranian people's uh, street protests and, and, and struggle for an independent judiciary and struggle for a representative government and struggle for social justice inside their own country, then, of course, it's highly explosive. The question is, when you bring in 2009, where is Washington amid all of this? Because this is one of the few places in the Middle East where you actually have U.S. strategy and U.S. values in concert rather than in conflict with one another. This is not to say that Washington needs to go run and wave the regime change banner, but realize that there are people organically in the ground in Iran, uh, on the ground in Iran, actually calling for that themselves. This is not about trying to not uh, fall into an Iraq type of scenario. It's about taking your cues from the streets in Iran. And, and to this effect, I, I co-wrote an article uh, with a former Iranian political prisoner who is also a colleague of mine uh, at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies after the 2019 protest. And we basically advised that Washington and the international community should not get caught flat-footed again. And, you know, we said that you should have uh, no qualms about standing firmly with the protesters in Iran. Uh, and beyond that, you should also have a targeted sanctions campaign against the individual uh, security officials, judicial apparatuses, and political officials supporting the crackdown in various towns, cities, provinces, and other areas of Iran. So you could have a highly strategic and highly tailored sanctions and messaging campaign. And the third thing they should do is to really bring public and private enterprise together to see what ways exist for the U.S. to support either covertly or overtly access to the internet for Iranians so that they can continue to get their message out as well as so that they continue to communicate between one another, because this really is about the free flow of information. It's an interesting 
dynamic. And first off, let me ask you this question. Is there any evidence that the CIA or the United States is supporting, instigating, taking any covert actions to try to topple Iran? Or are we in a leave Iran alone posture right now? I mean, to the best of my knowledge, no, I, I don't believe that is U.S. government policy. I think as far as it may get to foreign intelligence efforts and sabotage and things of that nature, you know, there are New York Times reports, I think, from 2018, 19, 20, right. uh, that talk about the U.S. feeding defective components into Iranian procurement programs, as well as potential cyber operations. But on this stuff, no, not at all. And we shouldn't, you know, try to denigrate the, the the resistance of the Iranian people by trying to link it to something CIA yeah. You know, that's something that no, just, the regime yeah. loves to do. Yeah, that's something the regime loves to do to say that not, this is not organic, this is foreign-sponsored. But but then again, it, it is organic. And, and Washington, again, is lucky, uh, morally, strategically, and politically, uh, where it can have its strategies and values in concert in such a crucial area of the world and in such a crucial country. And uh, my qualm has been that the Biden administration is simply ignoring it, uh, ignoring it, uh, waiting too long to buy out a tepid two-paragraph statement, uh, ignoring almost the Iranian overreach onto American territory, trying to recently kidnap a U.S.-based uh, journalist of Iranian origin uh, in Brooklyn. I'm sure you know about that story sure. already. Ignoring all of these things, ignoring the regional escalation, the nuclear escalation, the nuclear blackmail foreign aggression, domestic suppression, just in the quest to resurrect what you and I and your listeners already know is a fatally flawed and fast-expiring nuclear deal, a nuclear deal that would only briefly cap the program and instead pave the patient pathway for a nuclear capability in the hands of the world's foremost state sponsor of terrorism. That, I think, is a dereliction of duty uh, by some in the Biden campaign, some in the Biden team. It's really a missed opportunity because the dissent, the unhappiness on the ground with everyday Iranians is so palpable that this could be a moment of toppling. Isn't that true? If if the Western world really got behind this, wouldn't the regime be in significant trouble? It, the regime would be in significant trouble, but the regime already is in significant trouble, which is why they know they have to crack down on these protests. You know, right. if it's not the water-based protests that spread around, then maybe it'll be the next iteration. Yeah. But the thing is, the Iranian people are now not afraid to transgress those rhetorical red lines. They're not afraid to come out in this size, scale, and scope. Really, 2017 to present is a game changer for street politics and street power inside Iran. When the Iranian people are chanting, which means reformist, principalist, the jig is up, it means that they have no home in the Iranian political system, whether you're on the left flank or the right flank of an increasingly narrow political system like the Islamic Republic. It's why they boycotted in Mosque the 2020. February parliamentary election. Yeah. It's why they boycotted in mosque this recent presidential election. And it's very historic that you and I are talking today uh, because today is the day that a major butcher, Ibrahim Raisi, who was formerly the head of the judiciary right. and has blood on his hands from the 1980s, he's being inaugurated and sworn in in Tehran as that country's new president. And this is the legacy that the country's second supreme leader, uh, Ali Khamenei, who is the country's most powerful person, that's the title meant to be taken rather literally, supreme leader. Right. Uh, wants to leave behind. He's in the eighth decade of his life, third decade of his career. And if Washington is expecting Iran's domestic or foreign policy to change because of someone like Raisi at the helm, they are sorely mistaken. Now is the time to double down on the pressure. Now is the time to support the people with whatever we can. And, you know, Henry Kissinger used to say, or there's a quote attributed to him, that foreign policy is not missionary work. This is not about the U.S forcibly spreading democracy or trying to forcibly uh, have people who have a different political culture than ours. This is actually people who want something and are prohibited by it, by a regime that is nearly genocidal in nature. 
So this is where we are. Pretty remarkable moment. And uh, the American people, I think, need to be educated on the missed opportunity our government is executing right now. I want to go to the journalist episode in a second because it's a reminder that Iran has been active on our soil all this time. They have sleeper cells, intelligence cells, and uh, I want to go back to that in a second. But before we do, I want to ask you about the oddity of the last couple of Iranian elections and who the Iranian people, you believe the elections weren't fixed. When the Trump administration was taking a hard line against Iran, the Iranian people were glad to reelect somebody that you know had at least a public perception of being more of a reformer, uh, Rouhani. And then when the Biden administration is coming in and uh, offering a softer approach, maybe a return to the flawed nuclear deal, they go ahead and put in Raisi, who's you know probably one of the hardest liner crackdown guys that there's been when he was ahead of the judiciary. Why do the Iranians take these sort of odd shifts? When we are offering an easier path, they go with a harder looking guy. And when they're, when we're offering a harder path, they try to put a reformer up. Is that intentional or is it just a luck of the draw? Well, allow me to, with respect, reframe a little bit of that because Rohani, even though you framed him as a reformer, you know, respectfully, I would disagree. Yeah, he clearly wasn't. He had a reputation as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but by their political system, he's closer to the centrist, you know, right. you know, conservative, pragmatic flank. You could call it that. That's right. But but even then, everyone who is running for the position of president of the Islamic Republic knows what they are getting into. They know that this is a revolutionary system trying to forcibly continue to rule over the post-revolutionary society. You know, Rouhani's resume is someone whose resume reads as you know running the, uh, or serving at the helm of multiple security agencies. He's basically uh, been at the helm of, of, of key security installations in Iran's constellation of power ever since the 1980s, ever since the regime came into inception. So in that sense, he, he's no reformer. But what he and his team offered Khamenei, the country's supreme leader, is a way to, through, you know, with, you know, you could say by putting lipstick on a pig, uh, try to smile and wink and and, and nudge. Because again, that was early in the Obama era, to, uh, late in the Obama era. Obama, right, yeah when the interim deal was agreed to. So it wasn't necessarily about, about about who was at the helm in Washington, but it was that at a certain time, the regime, not the people, because these are more selections than elections. Yeah, they really are. The regime felt that they needed to put lipstick on a pig to win sanctions relief. Now they feel like that sanctions relief is coming. Now they don't need to put lipstick on a pig. Now the window dressing comes off. Now they can afford to have their strategy and their values in concert with one another because the appeasement is coming. So no need to even have to pretend for them. That's one major factor. Another major factor is, you know, the most important voter in these quote unquote elections is not the, the population or the eligible percentage of people who can vote. It's actually that that most empowerful person. That's the Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. And what, what he's done really uh, since the one genuine reformist candidate won first in 97 uh, and then later for a second term, and then he left office in 2004-05. But what he's done since then is to, to have like a never-again kind of moment. First, he purged the reformists from the system. Then he purged, you know, the kind of centrist, pragmatic flanks of the system. And even in this election, quote-unquote election cycle in 2021, he's even been purging conservatives, or you could say Iran's right flank. The reason he's doing this is because he knows he's in the eighth decade of his life, third decade of his career. Yeah. And what he wants time may be short. A narrower yeah, he wants a narrower political system when he dies. He doesn't want even the limited political system of the Islamic Republic 
principalist reformist. He wants the hardest of the hardliners dominating the system. So he, he's facilitated this purge, whereas someone even like Rouhani, or even like, you know, former President Rafsanjani, who was killed, or someone who was even disqualified in this round, like Larry Jani, former, former parliament speaker, veteran of the Iran-Iraq war. Those people are insufficiently hardline for him at this stage. So lest we forget, we should never denude our adversaries of agency. They have an ideology, they have a worldview, and they've made sacrifices for that ideology and worldview. And this is the constellation of power Khamenei wants at the helm when he goes. Yeah, such an important dynamic for people to understand what's going on. The grip on power, I think, is fair to say that it's less secure than it was even 10, 15 years ago, right? This regime knows that it's, it's really clinging to power, and sadly, the U.S. doesn't want to peel the fingers off the, uh, the hold that they have. It's a remarkable moment. I want to go to the indictment last month that revealed that there were a cell of four-plus Iranian intelligence operatives who tried to kidnap a dissident journalist, an American, Masi Al-Najad in really a kind of a dramatic claim by the Justice Department and laid out a you know, really dramatic plot to go get this person who's been very critical of the regime. It's a reminder, I guess, that often Iran has been operating on our soil. Hopefully the FBI has been watching them closely, but there was an, about eight, nine years ago an attempt to bombing attempt plot against the Saudi ambassador on U.S. soil. Right here in Washington. Right here yeah. in D.C., right down the street from where I work. And, and so you have that, you've got this. How should Americans look at Iranian operatives on U.S. So how big a threat is that? Well, this is an excellent point you bring up, and I'm glad you contextualized it with the 2011 plot. But let me just take our listeners back even further, because there are significant gaps in period of time when Iran is trying these plots. But I want the audience to understand that just because there are large gaps doesn't mean the regime is deterred. The presence of large gaps indicates the regime is recalculating, recalibrating, looking for new targets and finding ways to continue to penetrate. You know, we are an open book as a country and as a society, and the regime has always looked to do that, whether it's abusing export controls, trying to trick companies into uh, tricking military dual-use equipment back to a third-party country that can ultimately go to Iran, uh, or ultimately trying to engage in sanctions busting, or ultimately trying to have their cake and eat it too by having the kids of so many uh, of these regime officials uh, go through Western Europe uh, and, uh, of course, the American educational uh, system and the business sector. So in 1979, this regime comes to power. But in 1980, just north of Washington, D.C., in Bethesda, Maryland, former Iranian diplomat from the Shah's time was living right. there. Uh, and the Iranian network inside this country then, the new revolutionary networks in the U.S. at that time, found a disaffected convert to Islam who offered to the Iranians to kill the big new Brzezinski or Henry Kissinger. And reportedly, the Iranians said, no, no, go kill this former Shah era diplomat in Bethesda. And the guy dressed up, I don't know, as a UPS or a USPS or a FedEx, or he, he dressed up as some kind of mailman and went and he killed uh, that former Iranian uh, diplomat and he fled to Iran. Wow. As 1980, the, re the regime reached this far onto our soil. Jimmy Carter, yeah. Affected American. Yeah, uh, late Carter, early Reagan. I forgot what period of time in the, in the transition it was. And then that was that was 7980, if I'm not mistaken. Then 2011, the plot against the Saudi ambassador, you know, using a, uh, a, a an Iranian used car salesman in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, who had ties to the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force. They tasked him with trying to get in touch with the Zetas, the Mexican drug cartels, and ultimately carry out a bombing of that Washington D.C. restaurant, Cafe Milano in Georgetown, right. to kill the Saudi ambassador. And even now, fast forward, they 
four people from the Ministry of Intelligence and Security in Iran who are still at large, they're in Iran, uh, used an Iranian woman who I think was working in a makeup counter in some department store, if you can confirm this through the open source, uh, in California to bring money onto the U.S. system and ultimately give that money to an American private investigation company to surveil uh, this dissident, this uh, journalist, uh, this U.S. citizen of Iranian origin in Brooklyn with a plot as wild and crazy uh, that could have included putting her on a speedboat and taking her out to sea, then sticking her from sea to, to Venezuela and ultimately trying to forcibly uh, take her back uh, to Iran. This woman uh, is a public broadcaster here in the United States. She's got a show on Voice of America. She's got tons of followers on, on social media. She leads the White on Wednesdays campaign, the anti-hijab activist movement. Basically, uh, a young dissident and human rights activist who is uh, against the forcible veiling of women is deemed as a major security threat to this regime. This tells you all you need to know about this sort of regime, that it would spend time and, and interest and money and assets on trying to kidnap and extradite and, and, and potentially, God forbid, murder and kill such a person tells you the kind of regime they're running on. And for them to want to continue to reach onto U.S. soil from 1980 to present and not be deterred tells you that they don't feel like there is sufficient cost for operating like this and on our soil. This is a plot against the U.S. citizen. The Biden administration missed a major opportunity to condemn this sort of stuff. It's so extraordinary. In fact, there was just a case we had on Justice News, I think a couple of days ago, where the Justice Department indicted an Iranian in Canada for trying to pull off some theft of intellectual property, and I think it was related to drugs or medical research. So there's a very active element of Iran on U.S. soil, and they're not acting in our interest. It's very important to realize that we're not a spectator far out there on our soil, in our communities. There are Iranian sleeper cells and intelligence activities that are going on, and sometimes we uncover them and hear about them. Many times we don't, but we shouldn't sleep at night thinking that the Iranians are leaving us alone because they clearly aren't. If I may just briefly on this point, because I think it's crucial for the audience, this is not for everyone to have to, to, to freak out about this thing. I'm an Iranian-American, right. I'm a proud Iranian-American. But at the same time, you, you have to realize that the regime has not been afraid to use and abuse people abroad for their illicit programs. So when you talk about you know the intellectual property, the dual use, the export control violations, the people that the U.S. catches, like the DOJ, they catch these people, the FBI, they catch these people. You know, we ultimately move them through our legal system. We may pr imprison them. We, we may you know, find them, whatever. But you know how these hostage swaps tend to go on, uh, you know, the prisoner swaps between the, the Iranians and the, the U.S., for instance. Right. These things tend to go on. And uh, ultimately, even though I'm all for getting our people uh, out of the Islamic Republic, Whenever the Islamic Republic, particularly under Foreign Minister Zarif, uh, you know, kind of coyly floats that, you know, prisoner swap proposal, Washington should know what it's getting into. We should always be working overtime to bring back uh, Americans home because, you know, let's call it what it is. They are hostages inside Iran. They're not unjustly detained or they're not prisoners or whatever. Right. Those are hostages in Iran that Iran takes because they want to actually get the people that are actually violating laws on our territory off. So in all those deals, those are unfair trades. We have innocent Americans coming home, and the regime is expecting to have sanctions violators, export control abusers, uh, and, and other people who have abused and violated U.S. sanctions laws who have contributed materially to Iran's nuclear, missile, military, and other programs off the hook. That's why this stuff is an unfair trade. Yeah, no, it is. And, and people are just beginning to 
see the consequences of propping up last time. We, you know, if they hadn't been propped up in 15 and 16, who knows how history might have changed over the last four years, particularly with Trump's hardline policies. We had the Iraqi prime minister visit Joe Biden about a week ago, Safa Akademi, clearly someone that is Western friendly, a former journalist. And yet his position in Iraq and the dance he has to do with Iran seems more precarious. We've seen a couple military operations carried out by drones in recent weeks because Iranian militia are conducting attacks against Westerners with sometimes impunity. And then you know, we send some rockets in and take out the area or the base they were using. But how long-term, how stable is Iraq from Iranian meddling, particularly as our presence in U.S. troops has diminished there significantly? You know, I'm, I'm very worried about Iraq, and I'm very worried about how we look at Iraq as a country, as Americans here. It's good that the, the partnership with the prime minister continues. You know, we should not forget that that country has some elections coming up. There's been instability there in the past. You know, 2019 was a rocky year for Iraq, not just given the, the U.S.-Iran conflict on that territory, but it was a rocky year because of electricity shortages, water shortages, major protests. And these were protests in Iraq as well as in Lebanon against Iran-aligned forces, right. Shia militia groups, and the Trojan horse that Iran has tried to create in both of those states. And you said the population genuinely uh, rising up against it. Earlier in 2020, low gas prices coupled with the COVID pandemic really hit Iraq hard, really, really hit Iraq hard. That is a story that is not, unfortunately, yeah, uh, told, told well, uh, yeah. exactly here in Iraq. But uh, you know, listen, we got to help Iraq reject Iranian influence. We got to help Iraq get on its feet. Uh, we got to help Iraq through training and equipping missions to, you know, be able to politically and militarily go after these militias that are using Iraqi territory and using sometimes the cover of the Iraqi government to launch these drones, launch these rockets, place these IEDs, engage in these ambushes uh, against the multinational force presence and also against installations that are merely tied to the U.S. Uh, presence, whether that's the embassy or the broader green zone or bases where the U.S. and Iraqi security forces are co-located. By my count alone, since Joe Biden came into office, there have been at least at least 27 independent yeah. different rocket and drone attacks. Yep, and the U.S. Two dozen of them, yeah. twice. Yeah, and the U.S. has only used force twice. Yeah. This low response ratio is exactly why Iran and its cutouts feel comfortable escalating in Iraq. And with the recent news of the reframing of the U.S. mission, I would expect more escalation, more attacks, not less. Wow. That's a real sad story. Silence and inaction omission are, are in some ways an act of surrender. And I think they, it's in a remarkable time in American history that after all the blood that we spent protecting Iraq, that uh, at this moment, we're not engaging. And, and almost all of the military operations against Westerners in Iraq are, are backed by the Iranians, right? There's not a whole lot of other folks in there. These are mostly Iranian militias, Iranian-backed militias that are causing all of this mischief and violence, correct? Yeah, there there is still, you know, the ISIS, ISIS contingents. You know, right. there are like IEDs and other attacks caused by ISIS, but the lion's share of these attacks directed at the facilities through IED, through rockets and drones, and then, of course, the IEDs on the U.S. convoys can be tied to these SMGs, these Shia militia groups that Iran trains, equips, backs, supports politically and materially, and are ultimately loyal to Iran. They meet with Iranian intelligence and military officials when, when they go over there. They get their marching orders from there, and they are instruments of Iranian hard power in the region. And it's always funny when you hear U.S. officials under Democratic and Republican administrations saying there is no military solution in yep. X country or Y country. 
because those are the those are the countries, those are the domains, those are the jurisdictions that Iran actually has a nearly exclusive military strategy. And in some way, there's a, an article I wrote with another colleague of mine who used to be on the Hill, and he, he served before, I think, in Afghanistan. What Washington seems to be doing now is rather than contesting Iran, we're just simply getting out of their way. And that's definitely the story uh, of Afghanistan. And, you know, whenever, whenever the drawdown does happen in Iraq post-December, that would be the story there, too. Remember the famous Quds Force commander, infamous, I should say, Quds Force commander Qasem Soleimani? Right. He had a line that was reported in 2010 about him that I think is sad and prescient and U.S. foreign policy should work overtime to disprove, but sadly hasn't been able to. And we're not like the Americans. We don't abandon our friends. And I think we've got to make sure we know who our friends are in the region and we've got to stand by them. And we definitely have to make sure that when you're an adversary of the U.S., you don't get sanctions relief. You don't get a blind eye turned. Yeah, that's the key. We've been sending mixed messages for years and then we wonder why the world is the way it is. Benham, how do we um, how do folks stay in touch with all the good work that you're doing at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies? How do people follow your work and stay in touch with you? So I actually, I don't have a Twitter, but on the company website, FDE.org, they actually have uh, aggregated interviews, articles, commentary that I've provided on this issue, as well as other broader strategic issues that affect U.S. foreign policy, and particularly the U.S. and the Middle East. You know, I think it's critical that, uh, you know, we return to the concept of the informed citizenry. That's why I love to do this show and other shows. Uh, you know, we're not just talking amongst ourselves or to policymakers. We want to talk to the American public as well. Yeah, so so FD, FDD.org is where, is where our website is. You can find my commentary as well as the commentary of my friends and colleagues on the Iran issue as well as many other issues. Well, go check it out, folks. FDD.org is such an important resource. The media may not be covering Iran, but Just the News and, and John Solomon Reports podcast, we're trying to stay focused on it because it's so much more critical and you would know from the discussions in Washington. We got to keep on and keep you informed. And having great interviews with folks like Benham is is such a, a great opportunity. Benham, I want to thank you for your time. And I am certain we're going to have you back on the show soon to talk more about what's going on in Tehran. Would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. So grateful that you joined us today. A special thanks to Congressman Stubbe for joining us and for Benham Talablu to join us. He really opened our, I think both men opened our eyes to what's going on from the border here in America 
to the bad conduct of inside Iran against its people and against American interests. Hard to believe that an American journalist was nearly kidnapped on our streets by Iranian intelligence, and yet we don't have much discussion of it in Washington. We don't have much outrage about it. It's as though this administration and its media allies don't see the significance of Iranian intelligence operatives on our soil. But we're keeping informed. We're so grateful you joined the show today. Yes, we've been broadcasting live from the Freedom Phone Studios here in Washington, D.C. Check out the Freedom Phone. It's a tremendous opportunity. Go to justthenews.com slash freedom phone if you're looking for a phone that enhances your privacy and celebrates and pushes apps that are free speech protecting. They won't censor. Well, that's what Eric Finman and the Freedom Phone folks have done for you. And you can get a special discount just because you're a Just the News fan, a John Solomon Reports fan. Check it out. That's why we've been naming the studio this whole month, the Freedom Phone Studio, in honor and celebration of a new phone that actually puts privacy and freedom of speech at the forefront of its strategy, of its motto, of its business ethos. Check it out. If it's right for you, you will get a tremendous phone. I have one. I love it. You will too. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the day. When we come back tomorrow, some big news will be breaking. Buckle your seatbelt. I think you're going to like the story we're going to tell about defunding the police. It should be available tomorrow morning. All right, until then, check out all the breaking news headlines at Just the News and, of course, at John Solomon Reports. God bless and good night. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.